This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're baby dreaming on our way into episode number 75. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi. This is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and I am thrilled to be back with another episode of the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast. I'm especially thrilled to have a guest on the show today who's going to tell you how to sleep great during your pregnancy. Before we jump into that, I want to let you know about a new mini class that you can jump into. I've created this to help you discover not just why natural birth is great, but how you can have a natural birth. And you'll also get my new freebie, the ultimate natural birth playbook. There's a pretty version for you to look at on the computer, and there's a handy printable version that you can give to your birth partner so he or she can have that on hand uh, while you're having your baby. You can check that out at birthbabylife.com slash mini class. That's birthbabylife.com slash mini class. Okay, now let's find out how you can sleep well during your pregnancy. I'm thrilled to have Dr. Rosenberg on the podcast with me today. Let's jump over to the interview right now. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and I am thrilled to have a guest on the podcast today. We will be talking to Dr. Robert Rosenberg. He's a board-certified physician in internal medicine, pulmonary diseases, and sleep medicine. In the last 20 years, Dr. Rosenberg has devoted his practice to sleep medicine. He is the medical director of the Sleep Disorder Center of Prescott Valley and sleep medical consult to the Mountain Heart Cardiology in Flagstaff, Arizona. Dr. Rosenberg is a newspaper columnist, blogger, and he is the author of Sleep Soundly Every Night, Feel Fantastic Every Day, A Doctor's Guide to Solving Your Sleep Problems. It's rated number two in the adult sleep books on Amazon.com. And today, Dr. Rosenberg is sharing his latest research on pregnancy and sleep, which he'll be presenting to a medical convention for physicians in New Mexico shortly. This information is sure to help you pregnant mamas sleep better and stay healthy. Hi, Dr. Rosenberg, and welcome to the show. Hi, Kristen. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm thrilled to have you. I know that this is a topic that is going to be close to the hearts of so many of the mamas that we have listening. Good. Okay, so first, the big question, does pregnancy have an impact on how well women sleep? Oh, definitely. Uh, 78% of women who in the National Sleep Foundation uh, survey a few years ago reported uh, that their pregnancy was the worst sleep they ever had. And there's so many things that go on during pregnancy that disrupt sleep. I mean, in the first trimester, we've got uh, increasing uh, nausea and vomiting. Um, we have uh, increasing urinary frequency. Uh, the major problem in the first trimester and the third trimester, basically an inability to remain asleep. Also, women tend to be very fatigued and groggy during the day from very high levels of progesterone. Remember, when during pregnancy, your progesterone is going to be about 1,000 times higher than it was before pregnancy, and also estrogen goes up to nearly 1,000 and some reports 5,000 times higher, and estrogen can also affect sleep. In fact, we found studies that show estrogen can inhibit dream sleep. So there's a lot of things going on, uh, including anxiety. A lot of women are anxious, especially if it's their first child, and that can cause insomnia. So we see a lot of sleep problems, both physical and uh, physiological, occurring 
through pregnancy. And of course, when we get into the last uh, half of pregnancy, we start to see a marked increase in restless leg syndrome and other things we'll talk about, as, as well as muscle cramps. So there's numerous things that disturb a mom's sleep. And, um, and unfortunately, as we, we can get into, they do have adverse consequences if not dealt with. Okay. So there's a lot going on. And so, a lot. But, yeah, but pregnancy, I mean, women are doing such monumental work during that time. So it seems mm-hmm. that it's really important for pregnant women to sleep well, right? Right, extremely. Uh, we're finding that, that a lot of uh, less than six hours predicts uh, a lot of problems, such as uh, premature birth, uh, unintended cesarean sections, gestational diabetes, and hypertension. Um, just to name some. So because with with lack of sleep, uh, it's really an inflammatory uh, mediator. People don't realize that when they sleep less than six hours, they produce more inflammatory mediators, things which are not good for us, which cause uh, problems with our blood vessels, which cause problems with our immune system. So it's very important for moms to try to get at least seven to eight hours of sleep if possible. Um, and recent studies have shown that napping, before we would discourage napping, but napping seems to be okay. I mean, it's all right to nap. Uh, a study just came out in the journal Clinical Sleep showing uh, napping uh, did not interfere with the ability to fall and stay asleep at night as it does with people who are not pregnant, and that if anything, the napping is helpful. So, you, you know, you grab your sleep when you can, and you try to get as much sleep as you can. Okay. Well, that's really interesting to know about the napping. So that's something yes. I always want to do when I'm pregnant is take an afternoon nap. So. Right. And, and previously a lot of doctors might have said, no, don't nap because that will cut into your sleep. But this study, it was called Sleeping for Two. It's a great study. And it basically it showed that uh, women who napped, um, it did not have an adverse effect on their ability to sleep that night. I would tell women, don't nap for an hour or two right before bedtime. I mean, but, but the bottom line is that napping was healthy and beneficial, and uh, maybe we, we need to rethink uh, some, of our, some of the ways we look at napping, especially in pregnant women. All right, all right. Now, do you have general tips to help mamas to be get more comfortable and to sleep better? Well, I mean, you know, a lot of things are, are pretty simple and straightforward. Uh, one thing is sleep on the left lateral side. That increases blood flow to the placenta. It increases blood flow to the kidneys. takes pressure off of your back. So that's one thing, especially uh, during the second and third trimesters. I try to do that. Uh, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology recommend that. Um, so that's important. Turn off those blue lights and computers before bedtime. Try to get some sleep. Okay, that's a good idea. Drink plenty of fluids, but don't drink a lot of fluids right before bed because that will only increase your urination. Um, you know, Get into walking every day at least 30 minutes if you can. Exercise may go a long way to preventing problems with restless leg and uh, with leg cramps. Um, you know, so you get exercise, at least walk, do things like that. Expose yourself to sunlight in the morning. A lot of pregnant women do not do that. They end up staying inside, they're fatigued, they stay in dark rooms. That throws off your circadian cycle and makes everything much worse. So, so those are, and of course, pregnancy pillows are great. I recommend them for my patients all the time. It's a great way of, to be able to get, you know, separate your legs. Lie on your side. We even have pregnancy pillows that help to elevate the uterus. So, so those are some of the things I recommend to my my pregnant patients to help them sleep. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. Now, I've 
I've heard that things like caffeine and like you just mentioned, that blue light, so looking at TV or computer screens close to bedtime can contribute to insomnia. Is that true for pregnant women? Absolutely, even more so. Yeah, blue light is going to shut down your melatonin production, and melatonin is usually the hormone our circadian system begins to uh, to get ready for sleep, starts producing melatonin about 9 or 10 o'clock at night. Uh, melatonin levels go up, 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 and then about 4 or 5 in the morning they drop, getting us ready to wake up. What happens if you expose yourself to blue light, to computers, to iPads, to iPhones within 60 to 90 minutes of bedtime, you're really going to shut down the production of melatonin. There's actually a nerve that goes from the retina to the hypothalamus where melatonin is is signaled to be made, and it shuts it down immediately. Not only did it shut it down, but it may delay its production so that at 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning, you may have too much melatonin in you, which may be one of the reasons you're so sleepy and fatigued up until you know 11 or 12 o'clock at noon is because, one, you didn't get enough sleep. Number two, you delayed the production of melatonin and it's still circulating. And, of course, caffeine is is a major contributor to insomnia, especially if within six to eight hours of sleep, caffeine literally blocks the ability of a, of a hormone called adenosine, which builds up during the course of the day and helps us to fall asleep. It gets us into a sleep-like state, and caffeine blocks that the ability of that hormone adenosine to work on receptors in the brain and therefore keeps us awake and uh, also contributes to things like restless leg syndrome. Okay. I always I, I always have moms ask me in my childbirth classes, is it okay to have a little bit of caffeine? And they always want my opinion, and my opinion is, if you can go without it, please do. But um, and then this is just one more one more nail in caffeine's coffin, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you got a little caffeine in the morning, why not? I'm, I'm just saying. And if, but if you're a mom who is struggling with sleep or with restless legs, um, then you might want to take a close look at the caffeine. What time am I drinking it? How much am I drinking it? Or am I drinking it to stay awake? Because if you're drinking it to stay awake, it may well be that you're in a vicious circle where, you know, you, you can't stay awake. The caffeine inhibits your ability to sleep, sleep and fall asleep, and then you're consuming more caffeine during the day to get by. Okay. Now, another issue that some moms have, and this is actually something that always happens to me, is that some moms have increased nasal nasal congestion during pregnancy. Right. And does this impact their sleep? Very much so. Um, uh, because of increased progesterone, which which causes a, the muscles to dilate, and um, and estrogen, which causes the blood vessels to dilate, we end up getting uh, what we call pregnancy rhinitis, which basically is nice way of saying a stuffy nose, and certainly it can interfere with sleep. It increases snoring and in some cases may actually increase the chances of sleep apnea because when your nose is stuffy, you tend to, to go to sleep and breathe with your mouth wide open through your mouth. Mm-hmm. And when your mouth is wide open, that tends to narrow the airway and make it more, more likely to snore and collapse while you're sleeping. So, um, yeah, it's important to, to consider. And for pregnancy rhinitis, there are simple things. Saline sprays that you can get at any pharmacy, saline nose, nose drops, breathe right strips that you, you hear about uh, might work. And just propping the head of the bed up about 30 degrees uh, can also help uh, by decreasing the vascular engorgement and decreasing stuffiness. And if it's really severe, there are safe medications in pregnancy that your gynecologist, obstetrician might consider giving you to help you with it. Okay. Yeah, and we'll come back and talk about sleep apnea in a few minutes, too. Sure. 
Um, before we get there, you've mentioned restless legs a couple yeah. times, and right. I have I have heard this from a lot of students that they have problems with this. So, what can a mama do to help with this problem? Okay. Well, we know that restless leg in pregnancy is considered to be a secondary. In other words, pregnancy actually can cause the restless legs in someone who never had it before and will never have it again unless they get pregnant again. And about 20% of women experience restless legs during the pregnancy, especially the third trimester or the second half of the birth of, the, of pregnancy. What can you do? Well, um, the first thing is make sure you're taking your folate and your iron because that's the leading cause is lack of folic acid or low iron levels. As a matter of fact, your obstetrician or gynecologist or your primary care might check your blood levels to make sure they're normal if you have restless leg. You could try stretching. Exercise might help. Avoid caffeine. Avoid alcohol. They make restless leg worse. Nicotine makes it worse if you're a smoker, and you shouldn't be smoking anyway. Um, then there are other things that can be done. Massage. Uh, then, then we can get into. There are some. I've had patients with restless legs who are pre pregnant that it's so severe, and we, they don't want to take medication. So we've tried what's called pneumatic compression boots. Those are those things they put you put on you in the hospital to prevent blood clots that inflate on one leg and then deflate, inflate, deflate. Well, they work for an hour or so a night before you go to bed. They've been found to be very important in in uh, avoiding or relieving restless leg syndrome. So there are avenues, and occasionally, if it's really severe, I will put somebody on the lowest dose of medication I can possibly put them on in the third trimester because if they're not sleeping from their restless leg and they're miserable, that's more dangerous than the potential of the yeah. medications. You have to sometimes, you know, you've got to look at the risk-benefit ratio. And most of the drugs for restless legs are Class C, which is, you know, means you can, you can take them. Um, we don't love to use them, but um, sometimes we do. And, and in the case of uh, a severe case of restless leg syndrome, um, sometimes we use them. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I had never heard of the... Uh of anything mechanical that you could do to help work with that. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I've done some research on that. I've had some patients on it. There's even a new new therapy using infrared light. That's really interesting. So a lot of different options. For new stuff coming out, and especially especially appropriate in pregnancy where we're trying to avoid medications. And especially when you consider 20% of women are going to have significant restless leg syndrome, it's a major problem. Yeah, yeah, like I said, it's something that I've heard a lot. So that's really encouraging to know, and it's, it's good to know that there are people who are looking into it for us oh, yeah. too. Okay, what about leg cramps during pregnancy? Is there a safe natural treatment for that? Well, leg cramps are are interesting. We we get about 25 to 30% in the first trimester, 50% in the second trimester, and a whopping 75% of women experience significant leg cramps that either keep them awake or wake them up out of sleep. But in the third trimester, uh, magnesium has been proven to be beneficial, so that's one thing. Also, avoiding, um, avoiding meat, meat uh, uh, things that have a lot of phosphorus in them, uh, phosphate tend to tend to cause uh, leg cramps. Um, stretching and again exercise can be helpful in leg cramps. Um, those are the you know keeping your legs elevated sometimes can, can be. Can, can, another thing is sleeping on your side because one of the causes of leg cramps is the pressure of the uterus on the on the vena cava, the large veins, uh, causing.
stasis or vascular engorgement. And so sleeping on your back maybe may actually contribute to leg cramps. So things uh, positioning such as sleeping on your left side again, taking the pressure off of the vena cava, off of the you know allowing the blood flow to return, keeping the legs slightly elevated can help. But of uh, all the supplements, magnesium has probably been the one. Um, and you should be taking magnesium with calcium during your pregnancy anyway. But that has been shown to be about the best of the non-medications um, for leg cramps. Okay. And then for just so that for moms that don't know, so the vena cava runs up along the back, right? Yeah, that's a big, big vein that drains um, your lower extremities, and actually the vena cava drains blood from, from all of the body. But, uh, but the inferior vena cava drains it from the from the legs, and that's the that's where the pressure of the uterus uh, compressing that large large blood vessel can cause problems with swelling, edema, and with leg cramps. So yeah, that's the vena cava, and you don't want to be sleeping for six seven hours a night with the uh, with the pressure of your uterus right on it compressing it. It's best to be lying again on your left side to avoid pressure on the vena cava. Okay. And, yeah, and I, I don't know many moms that can stay on their back that long in late pregnancy, but it really does help to be on to be on the left side. Right. And not only that, there was a recent study that showed that moms who slept on their back had a, had a much higher incidence of preterm birth than moms who, uh, and stillbirth, than did moms who slept on their side. It was and they, they actually did a study. About 10 or 15% of moms were still sleeping on the back in the third trimester. And so the campaign was to urge people not to be sleeping on their back and that they had actual data showing increased incidence, basically, of stillbirth, which I was shocked when I saw the article, but there it was, the study, and uh, mothers who slept on their back. Probably due to decreased yeah. blood flow to the fetus um, and, and a decreased cardiac output from the mom. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that's good to know. All right. Now, let's come back to sleep apnea. Is that more prevalent during pregnancy? Much more. Uh, the incidence of sleep apnea increases two to fourfold, uh, so that's huge. Uh, recent studies have shown that if you're obese, going into your pregnancy, about 16% of women will develop sleep apnea in the first trimester and up to 35% in the final trimester. And about 30% of women snore in general during the second half of their pregnancy. So sleep apnea definitely increases with pregnancy, and it makes sense. Uh, you've got more fluid in your body, and that you've also got your uterus pushing up on your lungs, which tends to decrease uh, lung volumes and in turn makes the airway more collapsible. And then you've got hormones such as relaxin, which uh, prevents contractions, but it also relaxes the upper airway muscles and contributes to sleep apnea. So you've got a hormonal environment, you've got a structural environment, you've got fluid retention, so you've got everything. And then if you're, you're, you're overweight and you, or you've gained too much weight during your pregnancy, uh, that only increases the odds that your airway is going to be smaller than normal and collapse during sleep. Okay. Now, what are the risks of sleep apnea to a pregnant mom? Major. Okay, those are. That's really. That's. That's just an abundance of information coming out. Now, the, the the most frightening study was one published last year on 55 million births, and uh, and that was published um, in what was called the nationwide inpatient sample database, and they found that women with sleep disordered breathing who had documented sleep apnea 
we're about two and a half times more likely to have preeclampsia, which is hypertension, of course, with protein in the urine. They were five times more likely to have eclampsia. They are also nine times more likely to have cardiomyopathy, which is postpartum cardiomyopathy. And most frightening of all, they did find when they went with the database that the, the chances of dying in the hospital uh, with, if you had sleep apnea, were four to five times higher than if you did not have sleep apnea. Now, again, it was small numbers. Not everybody's dying. I don't want to, but, but they did go through this. And we know that sleep apnea is a major cause of gestational diabetes. We know that sleep apnea is a major cause of hypertension during pregnancy. And we know that sleep apnea is a major cause of intrauterine growth retardation due to lack of oxygen to the placenta. Okay. I mean, and I know, like you said, it's scary, but when I was reading through your information on it, I was thinking, of course, it's terrifying to think about this happening to moms and babies, but at the same time, it's exciting because these are things that before maybe they said we don't know why they're happening. Right, exactly. And now we know. Absolutely. Although I, I am a little bit dismayed by the fact that more obstetricians, and I'm hoping this will change through broadcasts like this and maybe uh, books and so on, and studies will become more um, uh, aware. Because in my practice, and I have one of the largest sleep practices in northern Arizona, we don't rarely see, we don't see much in the way referrals from the uh, obstetricians for women with, uh, for sleep apnea. And yet the recent studies are saying that if you have a female patient who has eclampsia or preeclampsia or even pregnancy-induced hypertension or diabetes, they should be screened very carefully for sleep apnea. And, and I'm, maybe in other parts of the country, maybe if I was living in New York, it would be a different story. But I'm a little, I'm just a little concerned that uh, in the more rural areas and maybe out throughout the nation, they, I, I just would like to see the obstetricians uh, become a bit more aware of the when they have a, pre, a pregnant patient with diabetes or hypertension uh, that came on during pregnancy. They should be talking to them about do you snore, talking to the husband, do you see her stop breathing, and doing simple screening tests to rule out sleep apnea. You don't have to bring you into a lab. We can even do a home test to see if there's a possibility you have sleep apnea. Yeah, I think, I mean, like you probably just mentioned one of these, my next question was going to be, what are some signs that can help a woman know she needs to bring this up with her care provider? Like you mentioned, okay. if her husband says something about her snoring or something. Yeah, if the snoring is getting loud, the husband sees you stop breathing, you wake up with headaches, uh, you wake up always sleepy and fatigued. Yeah, that's part of the pregnancy problem, but, if, but it might also be the sleep apnea is robbing you. And if you have hypertension or diabetes that developed during pregnancy, an alarm should go off saying, well, that doesn't mean you have sleep apnea, but we have found that 50% of women with preeclampsia have sleep apnea. That's pretty high. So if you have hypertension plus protein in the urine, someone sh you sh should be considering the possibility uh, that you have sleep apnea. And if you have symptoms of snoring, then I would say that if you had snoring and you had hypertension or diabetes during pregnancy, that it's imperative then at that point that someone study you to see if possibly you have sleep apnea. Again, it could be a home sleep test. It could be, there are other ways, or at least a good questionnaire by somebody who knows what he's doing. But it's very important because the, the, the outcomes on your pregnancy and on your own health uh, can be rather significant. And so why not, you know, find out because it's not that hard to treat. Yeah, so and what what are some ways that a woman might have that treated during pregnancy? Well, if it's we're finding a lot of women with sleep apnea may be positional. So uh, some studies have shown if you can get a woman to sleep 45 degrees upright, you know that that's that could do it. 
in some cases, you know, if a woman refuses CPAP, we at the very least we put her on oxygen. Now, oxygen is not as good as, as eliminating the problem, but it's a hell of a lot better than nothing and allowing the oxygen levels to drop at night. But the best treatment is really a CPAP machine, a little machine that generates compressed air, uh, that will keep the airway open while you're sleeping at night. It won't allow the airway to collapse. It won't allow your oxygen levels to drop. And it won't allow the whole cascade of inflammation and oxidative stress to go on during the night and affect you and your baby. So, so it, 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 it can be treated. There's various ways. The best is the CPAP. Uh, but the bottom line is, to not treat it, to ignore it, can have very serious consequences. And sometimes you don't realize that, well, I, had, I went through this or this happened, and it was all because you had sleep apnea and no one ever even thought about it. Yeah, okay. And so I'm, I'm actually, I'm familiar with the CPAP machine because my husband uses one for oh, sleep good. apnea. But um, I know that some women, you know, they worry about, is this machine, is it going to get in the way or is it going to be comfortable? But I... I know for my husband it was true that he actually slept better. And have oh. any of the women in your practice found that it really helped them get better quality sleep? Oh, my God. Yeah. Not only that, it's, it's the most important thing is that as soon as we check their oxygen levels and their blood pressure, their blood pressure comes down and their oxygen levels normalize. Now, what could be better for you and your baby? Yeah. I got a lady, you know, you got a woman, I have a pregnant woman who came to see me a few months ago with sleep apnea and her oxygen saturations, which shouldn't be below 90, were dropping into the 70s at night every time she stopped breathing. And she was waking up and she was miserable and she couldn't stay awake. We got her diagnosed, we put her on a CPAP, um, and she did great. Uh, but more importantly, what's going on inside of her body that you can't even, that you're not even aware of that is so important to the fetus, the developing fetus, that improved remarkably. And, and, and in a lot of cases, after the delivery, within about three or four months, we rechecked her and she no longer had sleep apnea and she didn't have to stay on the machine. But that, that period of time when we had her on it was, uh, could have, may have been life-saving for either her or the baby. Yeah, yeah, it's, it seems like such a simple thing to make such a big difference, especially with everything you're saying the studies are showing could be oh, yeah. problems. Oh, it is. I mean, I'm, I'm just impressed by the number of studies coming out now relating sleep apnea and sleep disorders in general to pregnancy-related complications yeah, that we didn't really even know about 20 years ago. We had no idea. Yeah, it's it's like I said, it's a little it's scary, but at the same time, it's so encouraging and it's so nice to know that there are doctors and care providers like you who are really looking into this and championing 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 this. Right, <laughs> there we go right. for for pregnant mamas. Right, right, and uh, and I'm hoping through programs like this, your listeners will go out talk, and if they do have these symptoms, they'll talk to their gynecologist, obstetricians make them more aware. Sometimes the patients are better educated than we are. I mean, you know, I've learned a lot from my patients over the years. So so um, if you've got listeners out there who do have snoring and do have high blood pressure or, di or diabetes and no one's thought about checking them out for sleep apnea, then they need to be proactive and bring it up with their health care provider. Definitely, definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Rosenberg. Is there anything else that you'd like to, to share with the listeners? No, just uh, I again. We have a book, sleep, uh, you know, sleep soundly every night, feel fantastic every day, which I think is a real. It, it really teaches you about the importance of sleep and sleep and health. 
and restless legs and sleep apnea and all these topics we've talked about and how important sleep is to your health. So, I mean, if you want to educate yourself a bit about sleep and you want to go out and read the book or go to my website, AnswersForSleep.com, where we do take questions related to sleep and try to answer them within a week or so, please feel free to do that. Otherwise, it's been great talking to you. Yeah, I really appreciate you being here on the show, Dr. Rosenberg. Thank you. Thank you, Kristen. My pleasure. I just want to thank Dr. Rosenberg again for the excellent interview. Hopefully you got some great tips that will help you sleep well. Remember, Dr. Rosenberg is the author of Sleep Soundly Every Night, Feel Fantastic Every Day, A Doctor's Guide to Solving Your Sleep Problems. You can check out his book on Amazon or at booksellers nationwide. His website is AnswersForSleep.com. And please head over there, check him out, follow him on Twitter and Facebook. You can find him there at Answers for Sleep. Thanks again, Dr. Rosenberg. And thank you for listening to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast. Remember, you can leave me feedback at iTunes and at Stitcher. Leaving good feedback means that other people can find the podcast. And let me know if there's anything that I can improve on, too. Oh, and before you go, don't forget to sign up for the new mini class at birthbabylife.com slash mini class. I'll see you on the inside. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.